0: Thank you for that kind introduction. I love your pastor. And uh, I, I, I echo everything he said about friendship. Um, you know, Steve Cox is just one of those guys that... You know, he is a great teacher. He's a great preacher. He's a great organizer. has supervision. But all of that is eclipsed by the fact that he just loves people. You know, and the Bible says if any man love God, the same is known of him. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, I come to churches a lot... And I've seen many, many churches that have two services on a Sunday morning because they can't fit everybody. But I, don't, I haven't been to too many churches on a Monday night that need to go to two services because you can't fit. You're getting close there, even on a Monday night. And so thank you for your faithfulness. How many of you, uh, let me see, how many of you were not here uh, even last year? Would you, would you raise your hand? Look at that. That's about tw- probably maybe 25% of you. So thank you for coming. Uh, you've chosen a great church, and we know that the best is yet to come. It's good to have Ben Burks with me. Brother Ben, just raise your hand. Brother Ben's an evangelist. Uh, he worked for years uh, just traveling internationally, helping ministries with uh, setting up addiction programs uh, to help uh, those that are trapped by addiction, uh, a Bible-based way. And he still does that in part... Uh, but his ministry is such, so more expansive now, and he, is, he and his wife travel full-time, and he ha- rarely has any time, a downtime, and he had a couple days, and he was my driver today. And I'm glad he was, because it really increased my prayer life uh, that he drove today. <laughs> uh, my prayer life was suffering, but it is no longer suffering now that I've driven with Ben Burks. Um, but no, all kidding aside, what, what a blessing that, that he was able, we were able to spend that time to, uh, together today. I bring you greetings from my wife, Wanda. Wanda and I have been married now for, well, next month, 35 years. That's hard to believe. Uh, we have four children. You've met my oldest son, a Bible Baptist. You've met him, Nathaniel. He goes by Nate now, but I'm not allowed to call him Nate. Even though I kind of like Nate, my wife won't let me call him Nate. So we named him Nathaniel. How many moms are uh, down with that? You bore the child, you get to name the child. That's the way that works. So anyway, Nathaniel, Nate, he was here and did a financial seminar with you. Uh, He and his wife, Charity, and their boys, uh, two boys and a little girl, are down in Florida. And they are actually moving next month from Pensacola to Tampa, Florida, where they will join my other son, Joshua, and his wife, Rachel, their little baby, Elia, Joshua is starting a church in Tampa. So Nate and Charity and the kids are helping him start that church. So that's, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, my third son, Caleb, his wife, Cassie, and their two little children, uh, Camila and Cash, are in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And he is a youth pastor there uh, serving with a good man by the name of Adam Zamora, in Desert Hills Baptist Church in Buckeye. That sounds like a good uh, Arizona name, Buckeye, uh, Arizona. Doing a great job and loving, loving the ministry. And then my baby girl, Hannah, uh, lives in Australia. I think I told you that last year. She and her husband, Zach, uh, live just north of Sydney, Australia. And they don't have any children yet. We're, we're urging them, but they do have a Labrador Retriever. So that's, that's important. If you're going to have something other than a child, a lab is probably the next best thing. So, how many dog lovers in the room? How many dog lovers? Good. How many cat lovers? Okay. Um, let's turn in our... <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. It's just not as good as being a dog lover. And all God's people said, amen to that. Hey, open your Bible tonight, if you would, to the book of Samuel. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. I want to read a passage of scripture that I think is just a, a tremendous help uh, to all of us. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of the service, when we have our invitation. It won't be a, length, it won't be a lengthy invitation, uh, but, but when we have our invitation at the end of the service, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask that you would consider praying, whether, you, whether you're able to come to an altar or not, I'm just going to ask everybody at the end of the service, I'm going to ask that you would pray, but not for yourself. I'm going to ask that you would pray for somebody else at the end of the service. So just be thinking about that. As, as the message unfolds, I want, you to, I want everyone tonight, myself included, I want us all to respond to the Word of God. but I, I want us to respond by praying for somebody other than ourselves, by name, somebody other than ourselves, by name. We're going to come back to that. Second, Sam, uh, Second Samuel chapter number 9. Remain seated, but, but look carefully at verse number 1. Second Samuel chapter number 9. And looking carefully, please, at verse number 1. Let's take just a moment or two and walk through this passage. And then I'll come and just give you the points of my message. Okay, so we'll do it a little bit differently. We'll walk through the passage first and then I'll come back and give you the points to the message. 2nd Samuel chapter number 9, look please if you would at verse number 1. The Bible says, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? So this is 20 years after Saul has died. At least, maybe longer. That David now 20 years later, I mean David has been reigning for 20 years. David has been king for 20 years. He's living in Jerusalem. For the first few years, he was in a place called Hebron, but now he's in Jerusalem. Everything's going well. And all of a sudden, one day, David said, Hey, I'm wondering, is there anybody left in the house of, related to Saul? A grandson, maybe? A son? A nephew? Anybody? Is there anybody yet of the house of Saul? Now, now why? why did David want to know that? Well, watch what it says. Is there any yet that is left of the house of Saul that, here's the purpose, that I may show kindness unto him. Show kindness. Show him kindness. Watch this. For Jonathan's sake. To show him kindness. The word kindness in verse number one is the word for love in the Old Testament. It's the word hesed. It means the loyal love of God. It's a word that's so big that the translators had a tough time finding a word that described it. Uh, Tyndale called it loving kindness. There was no such word as loving kindness. But he knew it was love, and he knew it was kindness, and he didn't really know how to translate it, so he said, it's loving kindness. And you'll find it throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated mercy. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. That's this. That's the loyal faithful love of God to you and to me. And so David said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul because I want to show him love. I want to be kind to him, but, but I don't even know him. I want to be kind to whoever this person is that I don't know for one reason, for Jonathan's sake. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. Jonathan was David's best friend. If it weren't for Jonathan, David wouldn't be alive. And so, for Jonathan's sake, I want to show somebody of the house of Saul love. Look at verse number 2. And there was, of the house of Saul, a servant. So this is not a relation, but there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. Yes, sir. Reporting for duty. What do you need, sir? King David. Look at verse number 3. And the king said, Is there, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show... Now, what's the qualifier in verse number 3? That I may show the kindness of God. So now we see it's not only kindness, but David wants to make sure that everybody knows that, that what I want to do for whoever this person is, it's the kindness of God. This is, I want to show God's love. Not just some human, made-up, manufactured love, but I want to show the kindness of God to whoever this person might be, if this person exists. Look at verse number three. Is there, and Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan, well, that's the key guy. I mean, of anybody related to Saul, I mean, that's the one that David's most interested in. As a matter of fact, that's the motivation for wanting to show love is Jonathan. So Ziba said, well, Jonathan, yet... Hath a son. Oh my. I mean that, that's the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that there would be somebody alive. Well, that's a check mark. But not only somebody alive, somebody alive that's related to Jonathan, that's a check mark. And then somebody alive related to Jonathan, that's his direct son. Well, that's a huge check mark. So Z Ziba says, Yeah, there is. Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Can't walk, he's crippled. Now we we find out in another passage why he's crippled. He's crippled because when the Philistines were fighting the Israelites in the very battle of Gilboa where Saul and Jonathan and the other sons of Saul died that people were so afraid and the nurse that was the nanny that was watching the son of Jonathan was scared they had to run because the Philistines were coming and when they were running, this little five-year-old boy can you picture it? This little five-year-old boy was wounded for life. Did he fall down a little cliff? What happened? Something happened so tragic that he became lame at his feet for the rest of his life. Crippled man. I think what Zeba is saying is Ziba is saying, Yeah, David, there is somebody, the person you're looking for, he does live, he does exist, but he can't do anything for you. There's nothing, there's no service he can render for you. He he won't be usable in in any real capacity in your uh, your court. I mean, there is somebody, uh, certainly, that is related to Saul, but, but he's of no value. Because back in Bible days, a crippled person had no value. Back in Bible days, a person that was blind or a person that was deaf or a person that was lame, you saw it in the ministry of Jesus, they would be on the side of the road begging. There was no welfare program. There was no Americans with Disability Act. There's nothing like that. And so a lame person was just kind of an an outsider, if you will. And so Zeba said, well, yeah, there is somebody that meets the criterion, but he's of no value. Look at verse number four. And the king said unto him, Where is he? I love that. And Zebah said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now, if you were to go to Israel, travel from Jerusalem, where David lived, head down to Jericho, go up the Jordan River Valley. Cross the Jordan River into what's present-day Jordan to what are the Gilead Mountains. You'd find nestled back in the Gilead Mountains a little town named Lodabar. What, 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 what does that mean? That means that this son of Jonathan is living in a place where he's kind of hiding. Obviously, he's a son, a grandson of Saul. Saul is the deposed king. Saul was that maniacal king, maniacal king. Saul was that one that led the children of Israel into a huge defeat, and it was largely his fault. I and mean, his persona non grata is the son of Jonathan. So no doubt, he's just trying to live his life out in peace. Now, David knows where he is. Verse number five. Then King David sent and fetched him. Can you imagine that day? When the soldiers showed up, can you imagine that day when the horses and the chariots showed up in Lodabar? What's going on? Our little small, dry, dusty town. What's happening? This official uh, ambassage from the king. And they come right to uh, the house of Jonathan's son. They knock on the door. Uh, The king would like to see you. They maybe carry him out because he's lame or maybe he kind of stumbles out himself with a cane or a crutch. They bring him out to a chariot and they take him. He doesn't know what's going on. For all he knows is they've caught up with me. For all he knows, back in those days, the thing that a new king would do is wipe out. You would wipe out everybody related to the old king. I mean, that's what you did for your own safety. So Mephibosheth is scared to death. Look at verse number six. Now when... Oh, now, actually verse 5, then King David sent and fetched him. Oh, yes, verse 6, now when Mephibosheth, oh, that's his name. Now we have a name. So Jonathan's son's name is Mephibosheth. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, watch watch his demeanor. Look at his demeanor here in verse number 6. When he came, he fell on his face and did reverence. Why? He was scared to death. But he got there, and he fell down, and yes, sir, and oh, sir, long live the king. All of that. How do you know you're scared? Because of David's response. Look at verse number six. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. Watch the first thing David says. And David said unto him, Fear not. Hey, 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 don't be afraid. Mephibosheth, it's not what you think. Fear not. Matter of fact, you ought to have great joy because watch what David says. This is so good. Fear not, verse number seven, for I will surely show thee, now we know this word already, kindness. I'm going to demonstrate to you the highest quality love. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. I'm going to be good to you, not because you deserve me to be good to you. I don't even know you. I'm going to be good to you for Jonathan's sake. I'm going to be good to you because somebody who's not here anymore, who doesn't live here anymore, who is in heaven right now, was good to me. So I'm going to be good to you because he was good to me. Look at verse number 7. And will restore thee all the land of, thy, of Saul thy father. Huh? This guy became immediately rich riches in the Bible were defined primarily by land and Saul had a lot of it and so now Mephibosheth you get all the land of Saul and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually you not only get riches you get status you now are in the inner court you now eat at the king's table verse number 8 and he bowed himself and said what is thy servant what are you talking about do you know who I am I'm a nobody. I'm a lame man. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Why would you be good to me? I'm a nobody from nowhere that can do nothing for you. Why would you be good to me? What is thy servant? That thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am. That was an expression back in Bible days for somebody that had no value. I have no value. I'm a nobody who can do nothing. Why would you ever be good to me? Look at verse number Nine, we're almost done. Not with the message, just with the Bible reading part. Some ladies started getting their shoes on. Yeah, here I come, chilies, okay? chilies can wait. Verse number nine. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I've given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul, to all his house. Hey, I just gave him everything. Watch this. Thou, therefore, thy sons, thy servants, shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But he's not going to need the food. Why? Because Mephibosheth, my, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and the Bible goes on to say that that's exactly what happened. You say, well, okay, Kurt, what in the world does this message have to do with me. Alright, let me say this. Everything. This message has everything to do with you and me. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see it. Lord, in just the few minutes that we have to unpack this message, oh God, I pray that you would hover over this room. I pray that you would insert yourself in real ways in every heart. I pray that you would find your way into every crevice and crack in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would show us things about ourselves that perhaps we can't even see or recognize. Lord, I pray that the end result of this message would be that we too would find a Mephibosheth. Lord, that we too would love somebody for Jonathan's sake, Help us to understand exactly what that means please bless this message I pray in Jesus name amen Peter schorsch what a name Peter Schorsch was a is a journalist in Florida he's not famous matter of fact if I had not read just kind of a random article, I would never have heard of this guy ever he's just a random journalist from St. Petersburg, Florida. But one day, Peter Shores was driving in his car, listening to the radio, and he heard that the local Starbucks was having kind of a phenomenon taking place that day. You see, that morning, somebody had bought a cup of coffee, and they had said to the barista at the window, hey, listen, I'd like to pay for the person behind me. We've all been experienced that, that pay it forward, Right. And uh, he gave some extra money, or, or just don't put it on my card, however you do it. <laughs> I don't do it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> the next person got the, the blessing of, wow, my, my order is paid for. It. And so the next person said, well, I want to pay that forward. And so the next person paid for the person behind him. And then the next person paid for the person behind him. And the next person, and after a while, it went on for an hour, then two hours, and then three and four until finally, it gained so much steam and so much attention that a reporter began to report about it, and it got on the radio and entered Peter Schorsch. And Peter Schorsch is listening to that on the radio and thought, I'm going to go to Starbucks. So he went, changed his direction, went down to the Starbucks where the phenomenon was taking place, and got in the very long drive-through line and waited patiently, finally got to the, the uh the, the speaker, and said, I'd like to order two Vente Mocha Frappuccinos, and he waited in line, and sure enough, when he got to the, uh, the barista at the line, the, she said, sir, uh, one of your Vente Mocha Frappuccinos has been paid for by the person in front of you. Would you like to pay it forward? To which Peter Schorsch replied, No. No, I would not like to pay it forward. And the Starbucks phenomenon of St. Petersburg ended at customer number 458, Peter Schorsch. Now, I want you to remember that name because the story is not over. We're going to come back to Peter at the end of the message. See, just as those people that day in Starbucks in St. Petersburg a couple years ago paid it forward. So David, in a sense, David, in a sense, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, was paying it forward. See, David could not do for Jonathan what Jonathan had done for him. Jonathan was no longer there. David could not repay Jonathan in any substantive way. Jonathan had gone on before him. Jonathan had paid already, and now Jonathan was gone. But what David could do is David could identify somebody that he could help for Jonathan's sake. And so in that sense, he could love. Watch this. He could love forward. He could love forward. Now, the world understands a little bit about love. Not much, but a little bit. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, here's what the world understands about love. The world understands that if you do me good, then I will what? do you good. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Uh, you're kind to me, I'm kind to you. You're mean to me, I'm mean to you. The world just understands a reciprocal relationship. Everybody gets that. They get that at your workplace, they get that at your school, they get that in your neighborhood. Everybody seems to understand that arrangement. You're good, I'm good. You're bad, I'm bad. We treat each other the same. That's the way the world looks at it. And unfortunately, that's the way many Christians behave as well. But Bible Christianity is much different. Bible Christianity says, because God has loved me, because Jesus has loved me, now I have the opportunity, watch this, and the capacity not just to love this way, but watch this, I then can take this love and love this way. I can take this love and love this way. I can love forward. Now, don't tune me out. I want to give you three thoughts about loving forward tonight. I think that will really, really help as it relates to this passage. Okay? Number one, let's talk about what I'll call the, the, the basis. What, what is the basis? Got to understand. What's the foundation? What's the basis for loving forward? When we love forward, when we are loved by God through somebody else, then what, what is the basis by which we love other people? What is the basis? Okay? Let me give you three bases For loving forward. First of all, I think the basis for loving forward is the bedrock love of God. The bedrock love of God. Did you see what David said twice in the passage? I want to show the kindness of God unto you. Do you understand as believers that when we love people, In the neighborhood, at the school, at our workplace, uh, at the convenient mart. uh, People that maybe are unlovely people. When we love them, we're loving them with no less than the very love of God. Man, you talk about a valuable possession. The most valuable possession that you have in your life is the love of God in Jesus Christ. God has set his love upon you. It's a valuable possession that you have. And here's the thing about the love of God. When you give the love of God to others, you lose none of it. It's like the widow's oil. Remember the widow at Zarephath that Elijah helped and she got those, all those containers and she filled them with oil and she never ran out of oil in the cruise until she ran out of containers. You will never run out of the love of God. As many people as there are in this world, there's enough love in your life for all of them. Why? Because when you pour out the love of God, you never lose any of it. And so what's the basis for loving forward? The basis for loving forward is that you would recognize that you have a real possession in the very love of God that he's given you, and you now owe that love of God to other people to love it forward. But not only do I see the bedrock love of God, I see, number two, the demonstrated love of a friend. Now, how, how did think about this. How did David perceive love? How did David know that anybody loved him? His own dad disesteemed him. His own dad didn't think enough about him to even bring him in for the anointing process. We know that his brothers were jealous of him. I know the naughtiness of your heart, said Eliab. We know that some of the people that were closest to him didn't show more of a capricious kind of loyalty, whether that be Joab or Abner or others. David, Did David really ever experience somebody that loved him for him? Did David ever experience anybody in his life that truly loved him for who he was? and loved him unselfishly? And the answer to that question is resoundingly, yes. At least in one person, and that was Jonathan. And what did Jonathan do for David? Everything. Understand that before David came along, Jonathan was the end-all be-all. Before David came along, Jonathan was the hero. Remember the story about the Philistines and the garrison and his armor bearer? I mean, he was the first hero of Israel. Jonathan was. Jonathan was the son of the king, not David. David was just the the Johnny come lately son in law. No, Jonathan was the rightful heir. Jonathan was the one that was much older. Jonathan was the one that was no doubt much bigger. Jonathan was the one with with the with the army and the and the the, the fancy sword and and the royal clothes. Uh, Jonathan was all of that. But remember what Jonathan did. Jonathan took all of what he had. His clothes, his sword, his identity, and he said, David, I know this. I know that you're going to be the king. I know that God's anointing it upon you. So I give you my identity. I give you my robe. I give you my sword. I give you my status. I give you everything. Do you know that's what Jesus did for you? That's exactly what Jesus did for you. Okay, He is the rightful son. He is the rightful heir of the throne. But what did he do? He gave you his identity. He gave you his robe. He gave you his sword. He gave you his... Status and all that he deserved, he gave you. He gave you his record. That's what Jonathan did for David. Not just once, but he reiterated all of that. When David began to run from maniacal Saul and thought, hey, is Saul ever going to stop chasing me? Jonathan said, I'll find out. I'll find out. They were meeting alone in a wooded place. And Jonathan said, I'm going to go back to the meeting. I'm going to find out what my dad's desire is concerning you. But David, let's make a covenant right now. You can check this out in 1 Samuel chapter number number 20. And here's what they did. Uh, Just the two of them out in the middle of the field, Jonathan said, okay, David, I'm going to tell you again, you're the man. And David, you're going to be the king. And I know that. David, uh, I'm going to die one day, and all I'm asking for you, David, is David, don't forget me. David, don't, don't forget me. I won't. David, don't forget my family. I won't. David, take care of my family. I will. David, promise. Da- David, promise. David said, I will. And David and Jonathan, best friends by themselves, in the middle of nowhere, made a promise before a holy God. And David said, Jonathan, I will always do good to your family. I promise. How did David understand love? Because somebody showed him. Hereby perceive we. Here's how we understand love. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we're of the truth. What's the Bible teach? The Bible teaches you can tell people you love them all, all you want to, but that kind of love is blah, blah, blah. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Don't talk about it. Don't tell me about it. Show me. And we understand love, not because the Bible says Jesus loves me, this I know. We understand the Bible because somebody in your life demonstrated it to you. And they demonstrated not their own love, but they showed you the love of God. It was my mother for me. It was my mother showing me the love of faithfulness and unconditionality when my own dad left us, when my own dad cheated on her, when my own mom had to raise us by herself. What did I see? I saw day after day, after week, after month, after year, a faithful, unconditional love in my mother. Don't tell me you're not making a difference, single mom. Don't tell me you're not making a difference, praying grandma. Yes, you are. Because through your actions, you're actually showing the the love of God himself. That's what David did. David understood the basis for his love was the bedrock love of God. This is God's love. And I understand God's love because somebody demonstrated god 's love to me in david 's case, it was Jonathan, and now, for Jonathan's sake, because God you love me through him, you love me through him God because you sent him to me because you love me through then for his sake i'm going to love i 'm going to love somebody that 's david 's whole motivation. the basis for loving is the bedrock love of God number two, the demonstrated love of a friend number three, the constraining love of a covenant. David said, you know what, I've made a commitment. You know what my commitment is? I'm going to love somebody for Jonathan's sake. That's my commitment. But let me ask you a question. To, To whom did David make that commitment? Or to Jonathan? He was the only other person there. But wait a minute, to whom else? Yeah, God. Did it ever strike you as odd that now, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said, okay, I've got I've to show love to somebody for Jonathan's sake. Well, who would know? Like, David, you made that promise, but the person that you made the promise with is no longer alive. Who's going to know? And here's the answer, obviously God, but watch this. David's going to know. You know what we got in our little brain of ours? That God has given us a conscience. And God gave me that conscience to be Holy Spirit enlivened and operable. Because there are times that God prompts you throughout the day to be good to people, to love people, to go out of your way for people, and you better listen to the still small voice of God's Holy Spirit in your conscience. And David was obedient to that, wasn't he? He said, I feel constrained. I owe this because of what Jonathan did. And do you know this? That Feeling like you owe somebody something to love somebody, that that is not incompatible with love. See, you say, well, now that we're saved, the only real motivation is love. No, I think there's other motivations. You know, the one motivation Paul had was, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the uh, barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise." So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God on salvation. What did Paul say? Paul said, listen, I feel like I owe people a debt. God saved me. i got to tell somebody. I mean, somebody told me. I think about that Stephen uh, that gave that great speech that I heard, and then he died, and I was there. I I was consenting unto his death. I owe somebody that kind of love that he gave me. I owe somebody. I feel this debt. Feeling obligation and loving people are not mutually exclusive. There ought to be a sense, there ought to be a compunction and a compelling in our life to say, man, I feel like I've got to. I've got to demonstrate love to people. I've got to show them the love of Christ. Where else are they going to see it in this sin-cursed world? Somebody has to demonstrate God's love to them. That was David. It was the bedrock love of God. It It was the demonstrated love of a friend. It was the constraining love of a covenant. It's the basis. It's the basis for loving forward. But watch this, number two. Not only do I see the basis for loving forward, I hope you're already thinking about somebody. I hope as I'm preaching tonight, God might be laying somebody on your heart that needs you to demonstrate love to them. I'll talk a little bit more about it. I think number two tonight, I see not only the basis for loving forward, but I see what I'll call the mechanics of loving forward. How did David actually do this? The mechanics of How did David actually love forward? How did he do it? Because when it comes down to it, we all agree. If I said tonight, how many of you think we ought to love people? Oh, yeah. Of course, we've got to love people. How many think we ought to share God's love with others? Yep. How many have ever had somebody show God's love to you? Yep. How many of you have ever made a commitment that you're going to love other people and serve other people with your life? Yep. Yeah, we all agree. When it comes down to actually doing it, that's something different, isn't it? comes down to actually doing something about it. So, what? How did David do something about this? I think in three ways. First of all, first of all, there was what I'll call a persevering intentionality. There was a persevering intentionality. Hey, I intend to do this. I'm going to find somebody. I am good. There's. I, I'm good. Listen, this is not going to be some general thing like I'm just making a decision to love people. No, I'm going to find one person. Uh, by name, and I'm going to be good to them in some palpable, tangible way. I'm going to do it. That, that's real Christianity, by the way. Real Christianity all, always comes down to one-on-one. Now, I, I'm thankful for Sunday morning church. I'm thankful for Monday Night Revival. I'm thankful for group sessions. But at the end of the day, real Christianity always comes down to one-on-one. It always comes down to one-on-one. David said, I have a persevering intentionality. Whether they receive it, whether or not they know it, I'm going to find somebody for Jonathan's sake and I'm going to be good to them, show them the love of God. I am not going to give up until I find that person. Well, wow, it's a persevering intentionality. But not only was it a persevering intentionality, I think number two, it was a striking, watch this, a striking impartiality. You say, what do you mean by that? Curtis, striking impartiality impartiality. So what, what, what David showed us in this passage it really didn't make a difference who it is. Because typically in life we're good to people that can do something for us. You want to know the measure of a man's character? Here's the measure of a man's character. Is he good to people that can do nothing for him? That's the measure of a man's character. You want to know a person's character? Watch how they treat children. Watch how they treat animals. Watch how they treat the elderly. That's that's pure religion, by the way. Not the pet part, but the other parts. <laughs> what is that? That's a striking impartiality. If I'm only good to people that I feel can benefit me, then who am I loving? I'm loving me. If I'm only good to people that can do good to me, then I'm just loving me. That's all I'm doing. I'm just loving myself. And that's the worst kind of love. That's the most narcissistic kind of Christianity. But when you love people that can never love you back, there's no possibility. They're lame in their feet. There's no value. Then that, to me, is real Christianity. We had this lady in our church in Pennsylvania. I won't give you her real name because I, she's still there. and She's a great lady. I'm just going to call her Joan. Joan was a special needs lady in our church. She struggled with some mental disorders and she was uh, well on the spectrum. Somebody invited her to church one day and she came and she was uh, a tough person to deal with. Now our church loved on her, but she was tough to deal with. She would speak out loudly in the sermons. that Pastor Skelly! Oh, Joan, not now. But Pastor Skelly, not now. She's the only woman in our church that did two things. Number one, she's the only woman in our church who ever swore at me <laughs> in the middle of a prayer service. We were taking prayer requests. The room probably had this many people in it. And I, and, I, and I said, Joan. And she gave her prayer requests. And it was something funny. And I made a little joke. And she stood up and she said, oh, yeah, well... And I cannot repeat what she said, okay? But you would all understand it. What do you do after that? Okay, okay, let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hear the second thing she did that no one else has ever done? It's even worse. Say worse than that? Yep. She's the only woman other than my wife. That should tell you something already. In the middle of our church lobby, and our lobby was huge. Hundreds of people were in the lobby. Who kissed me on the lips? <laughs> Didn't see it coming. Tried to avoid it if I could, but I mean, I'm talking. The next thing I know, I mean, they're on me. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it was awkward. <laughs> I'm telling you. One Sunday, she. She was in that same lobby, and she had this really well-dressed, young, like probably late 20s man with her, just seemed out of place. I said, Joan, I see you brought a guest. He said, she said, yes, this is my son. I said, your son? I didn't know you had any children. And then he spoke up. He said, Well, I, I live out of town. I'm I'm from California. We're just visiting for a short time. I said, Well, I was, I'm, I'm so glad to have you in services this morning. I said, Do you go to church in California? I have a church background? He said, No, I don't go to church. I said, Well, well, thank you for coming. What what brings you today? And here's what he said. He said, I wanted to come to the place. That loves my mother. He said, Pastor Skelly, I know my mother can be very difficult. And I just had to come to the place that loved my mother. Yeah, I I wonder, is that the kind of love that I'm demonstrating? That's a strike listen, that's a striking impartiality. So there was a there was a and there was a persevering intentionality. There was a striking impartiality. And then there was an extravagant liberality. You know, David just promised Jonathan, I'll do good to your family. He could have just given him a Chick fil A gift card and that would have been it, right? And by the way, that would be good. That would be good. But David didn't stop there. You know what David said? Hey, Mephibosheth, guess what? You get all the land. And you don't have to work any of it. I know your land. Don't worry about it. Ziba, he's got 15 sons. He's got 20 servants. He's going to work the land. You won't even need the proceeds for the land. Because guess what? I'm going to put you on the king's payroll. And I'm going to put you at the king's table. And you're going to eat here. You're going to be... And listen, more than that, you're going to be my son. That's what he goes on to say. You're not going to be a servant. You're not going to be a guest. You're my son. Do you get that? That's striking. That's extravagant. That's God. That's only God does things like. Only God can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay, and say, I'm not just going to rescue you and let you be my servant. Make me as one of thy hired servants. No, no, my son. Kill the fatted calf and bring me the royal robe. That's the God that we serve. And David said, man, he loved me when nobody loved me. He showed me love when nobody believed in me. And man, I'm going to love somebody because he loved me. My status is his status. And I'm going to love for Jonathan's sake. Wow. Which brings me to my last point, And the most important point I'll make. We talked about the basis for loving forward. We talked about the mechanics of loving forward. But here's the most important part. Ready? I call this the theology. Theology is just the study of God. It helps us to understand the heart of God. The mind of God the actions of God. So, so what, is the, what is the theology of loving forward? What, what's the theology of it? Is this a concept that we find in the Bible? D- does this story tell us something about God, the redemptive narrative of the Bible, the mission of Jesus Christ? Does it help us to understand theology better? And the answer is yes, emphatically. The answer is yes. So, so what does this story show us about God? All right, three things. Here they are. Number one, real quickly. Number one, the story shows us loving forward connects. Watch this. Loving forward, now you got to have to watch this. Loving forward connects the object of my love with the source of my love. You see, I I did this just as an illustration. I brought a $100 bill. I don't have many of these, but I brought one for this illustration, okay? So let's do this, all right? What's your name, my brother? Lenwood, yes, okay, Lenwood. I'm gonna gonna give you this $100, okay? But under one condition. I want you to give that $100 to, ma'am, what's your name? What is it? Effie. Effie. Lenwood, I would like for you to give that $100 to Effie. Would you do that for me? please? Thank you. This is a, t- this is like just, a- we didn't rehearse this, okay? I'm really shocked that he's doing it, okay? Okay, good. Thank And what do you say? No, no, what do you say? Now, Lenwood, you forgot to tell her something. You forgot. Did you give her this $100? Hey, that no, no, this. I gave her that $100. <laughs> you I make. told you, you get to, get to give it to her. Yes, You're not is. getting this message. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. I gave it to her, but I'm using you. Right. Do you good. get it now? Yeah, I do. <sighs> I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now watch this. Now tell her where it came from. Go ahead. Hey. This fellow right here. <laughs> now, now watch this. Now, who do you thank? But you're going to thank him too. By the way, this is an illustration. I'm getting my 100 bucks back. <laughs> watch this. Guys, watch this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Mm. This is Paul saying, okay, watch. You're giving this money to the poor saint in Jerusalem, but you're not giving money, you're giving yourself. And when they receive that money, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, oh, thank God for what he's doing in their lives. God gets the glory. They get to share part of the thanksgiving because they've been used of God to share what he has, what he is with somebody who desperately needs it. Give me back my money. (laughs) Give it to me. Give it to me. I'll get it afterwards. So you watch it for me. You're the only one I trust in this whole row. Sit down, Linwood. How many understand the illustration? Okay, good. If you don't understand, you're not getting 100 bucks. (laughs) Loving forward connects, watch this, loving forward connects the object of my love with the God who loves me. So I'm over there helping my neighbor clean his hedges I'm over there helping my neighbor mow his grass. I'm over there helping my neighbor you know, clean his driveway. And this past September, my neighbor got saved. And this past September, my neighbor got baptized. And these past eight months, my neighbor got discipled. And these past three weeks, my neighbor brought his Buddhist father to church three weeks in a row. Who is that? That's God, who used a poor lost sinner to help somebody rake leaves, to show him love, and to say, well, that's what the Bible teaches me. That's what God did for me, Keo. So that one day when he heard the gospel, he believes it because he's seen love. That's how that works. That's how that works. So loving forward connects the object of my love with the source of my love. Number two, loving forward demonstrates the mission of Christ. Because that's what Jesus did. And the Bible says, be a kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, what's the what's the what's the qualifier? Even as God for what? For for what hath forgiven you. Why did God forgive you? Because you deserved it, right? Because you weren't really as bad as other people, right? Because you were halfway there, right? That's why God forgave you, because you were warm and fuzzy, right? No, God forgave you, not because of you. He forgave you for Jesus' sake. And So when you love people, you're demonstrating the very mission of Christ because you are loving them, not because they deserve it. You're loving them for Jesus' sake, for the same reason. And you're forgiving for Jesus' sake. So what does loving forward do? It connects the object to the source. What does loving forward do? It demonstrates the very mission of Jesus Christ. Here's my favorite one, my last one, which makes it your favorite one, okay? (laughs) The theology of loving forward. Listen to this. Loving forward is actually... Oh, I love this. Loving forward is actually... I'm loving forward now... He loved me. Jonathan loved me. I'm finding somebody. Jesus loved me. I'm finding somebody. For Jesus' sake. Watch this. Loving forward is actually loving backward. What do you mean by that? Loving forward is actually loving backward. What, what do you mean by that? Okay. Okay. Now, you're going to have to follow this. I know you're tired. It's been a long day. Give me three minutes and follow this. Okay? So, in the Bible, somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? But then Jesus added something. He said, and love your neighbor what? As yourself. Well, that's not the question the guy asked. All he asked is, what's number one? But Jesus said, I'm going to give you number one and number two. And on these two, hang all the law of the prophets. In other words, if you could fulfill these two, you would, in essence, be fulfilling all of the law. Wow, what, what a statement. But, but Paul said this, Romans chapter 13, and verse 8. He said, O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. But Paul said, love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. He didn't say anything about loving God. And then in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, Galatians 5, that we have fulfilled the law. Nothing about loving God. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Nothing about loving God. So Paul said twice, Romans 13, Galatians 5, hey, love your neighbor, you've done it all. But Jesus said, no, no, love God, love your neighbor. Okay, James. James, in James chapter 2, said, if ye fulfill the royal law, the number one law, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. said nothing about loving God. So how is it? How, How is it, that Jesus said, love God first. That makes sense to me. Then love your neighbor. But Paul said, no, no, love your neighbor, you don't know. Love your neighbor, you don't know. James, love your neighbor, you don't know. How how does that jive? I mean, is Jesus in disagreement with Paul and James? Really? No, here's how it works out. Ready? Another man came to Jesus one day. He was a lawyer. I mean, he was a pro. Lawyer. Lawyer, the law of God. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what do you think? The guy said, well, I think you ought to love God first and love your neighbor. That's the right answer. That's what Jesus said. In other words, I think you ought to fulfill the law. Jesus said, okay, you do that, and you got it. Because no one could do that. Do that, and you'll live. And the man knew that he couldn't do that. So the man said, okay, then who is my what? Neighbor. He didn't ask who God is, because everyone erroneously thinks he loves God. Everyone thinks that. He knew that the real qualifier, where the rubber really met the road, he knew was, who's my neighbor? Okay, tell me the people I have to be good to. And Jesus told the story. The story of the Good Samaritan is not a cute story about how to be good good to people. The story of the Good Samaritan was a story that Jesus told to show you that you cannot get to heaven by works because nobody lives that way. And it's only through Christ that you can love your enemy. And so what happened? At the end of the story, this man realized, oh, oh. So how then, here's the big question. I'm going to end with this question. Can, can I love God the same way that God loves me? Ever think about that? How did God love you? He loved you when you were unlovely, right? True. Can you love God when he's unlovely? No, because God's never unlovely. He's altogether lovely. So can you love God the way he loves you? Apparently not. How about this? God loved you before you loved him. We love him because he first loved us. Can you love God before he loves you? No, he already beat you to it. So can you love God the way God loves you? Apparently not. But wait a minute. One day, Jesus is going to say this, and here's where it all comes together. Here's where it all comes together. One day, Jesus is going to say this. Jesus is going to say, uh, I want to thank you for something. I want to thank you for that time you visited me when I was in jail. And I I want to thank you for that other time when I needed a glass of water and you gave it to me. And that time I was hungry, remember, and you fed me. And remember that other time that I had no clothes. I was freezing and you you clothed me. And then those people say, Lord, well, when did we see you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you naked? When were you in prison? And Jesus will say to them, "Inasmuch much as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it what? Not for me. You have done it to me. You see, when you love forward, you're actually loving backward. Because you are loving Jesus. So let me ask you the question one more time. Can you love Jesus the same way that he loves you? And the answer is yes. Because you can love other people when they're unlovely. And you can love other people before they love you. And you can love people when they never love you back and can't do anything for you because that's what Jesus did for you. And what Jesus says is, here's how good it is. And when you love them that way, you're loving me that way. You're loving me, you're hugging me with the same love and hug that I love you with. It's a mutual love. It's the way you can say thank you to Jesus best by loving forward. All right, so we're done. Do you have a person in your mind? Here's what I want to do. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment.